This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Every year, more than 100,000 people visit Notre Dame's Basilica of the Sacred Heart, though, of course, the year 2020 may be an exception to that. Nevertheless, those who walk in the Basilica's doors discover a worship space that is immaculately maintained, utterly impressive, and completely orderly. But the order and intentionality of that church is not merely a matter of polishing and tidying up. It is, in fact, written right into the space itself, a space that was intentionally designed and ordered with a theological and spiritual vision. That vision is perhaps most visible in the light that bends through and illuminates the 44 stained glass windows that contain 220 scenes throughout the Basilica. Those windows tell the stories of the radiance of God's love in the lives of his saints and the events of salvation history. These are stories in light. I'm Leonard DiLorenzo. This is Church Life Today from the McGrath Institute for Church Life on Redeemer Radio. My guest today is Nancy Cavadini, who is co-author of the new book, Stories in Light, a guide to the stained glass of the Basilica of the Sacred Heart. This is a beautiful book, both in how it is written and how it is presented, replete with full-color photographs of these windows. This work of art history and theology undertaken by Nancy Cavadini and her co-author, Cecilia Davis Cunningham, brings the stories of this remarkable church and its resplendent stained glass to both those who have visited the Basilica and those who have not yet in a fresh, and I think we can say, an illuminating way. Nancy Cavadini, thank you for joining us in Church Life Today. Thank you, Lenny. It's wonderful to be here. So, Nancy, the Basilica of the Sacred Heart embodies something significant about the educational mission of Notre Dame's founder, the Holy Cross priest, Edward Soren. So when we walk into the Basilica, in some ways we're walking into a bit of his vision. So when somebody does walk into the Basilica and they find themselves surrounded by all this stained glass, what kind of world or what kind of vision are they walking into? Well, that's that's a really good question because it is a, a unique experience. Stained glass is provides an art experience unlike any other. And I have walked into some of the basilicas in Europe, and it's just a stunning experience. Notre Dame's isn't his, the basilica isn't quite that big, but still, when you step into that church, you cannot help but see the windows, and everyone who comes into there wonders about those windows and what they mean because. You know, they're 19th century windows, and they speak to us, but in some ways you're kind of left thinking, oh, what is that window, and why is it there? But Notre Dame, of course, is an educational institution, and Father Soren and the brothers who first came and founded it, they had a particular conviction that the world that they had left in France, the French Catholic world of the late 19th century, was what they were going to bring to the wilds of northern Indiana and that what they were bringing was what exactly what was needed for anybody, you know, who came to study at Notre Dame. Now, they wanted to provide an education that was within the Catholic faith. They didn't want a secular institution, which was becoming sort of a new way of doing education in the world. They were convinced that the best education 
was one that was done in a Catholic setting. And in fact, Father Soren said many times that education was the vital question of the day. How you did it was very important. So when he built the basilica and put in these windows, he, instead of hiring, you know, stained glass uh, makers from this country, it would be a lot cheaper. You would have gotten less travel issues mm-hmm. involved. Uh, instead, he got them from 4,000 miles away <laughs> from Le Mans, France. And that was because what they were making, the windows that the Carmelite Sisters Glassworks made, was exactly what he wanted in his windows. So the point being that, you know, Education was very important to him, and education through the arts, specifically, say, the art of stained glass, was very important in that day. Every priest had a viewpoint on which artist was the best to use to teach people, something you don't really find today being discussed in rectories. But it was very important to him, the kind of art that he put into these windows. And the reason is, of course, that their art, Father Soren was convinced, was indispensable to education. And that uh, the reason being that, if you think about it, art makes the invisible perceptible. Mm. It's capable of taking, say, faith or a theological point and putting it into images in a way that can reach people in a different way than, say, reading a theological text. Right. And so it was very important to Father Soren to have correct education through these windows. You know, stained glass windows are a perfect way to educate people, especially Christians, because what you have with stained glass is the invisible light passing through colored glass and becoming visible to us, so Mm -hmm. that the very experience of stained glass is something like the experience of incarnation, mm-hmm. right? And so these windows, when you look at them and they present the Catholic faith to those who see them, they're like a perfect way to embody faith. So anyway, the windows, the experience of the windows, you go in and see them, it's an experience of faith that is quite different from reading a theological text. Indeed. It's quite beautiful. Yeah. Gosh, I love that way you describe it. And just to think in terms of, let's say, God's grace, which already when we speak of grace, we <laughs> we kind of imagine something that we can't quite imagine. And mm-hmm. a lot of times it's sort of this amorphous concept to us. But we, it seems that, you know, following what you're saying, like we only really know God's grace when it passes through someone or is mm-hmm. reflects off of someone. I think... Was if I think it was Father John Dunn, another Holy Cross priest, would be fond of saying this, that you can't see light as it passes through empty space. It has to pass through something or bounce off of something for us to see mm-hmm. it. So your point there that the stained glass itself is that kind of exceptional privileged medium that allows mm-hmm. us to see light, which we otherwise see by, but we don't see it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the stained glass in the Basilica, as I understand, especially from, from reading your book, is meant really to be read, to be perceived. In other words, there's an order, we might even say kind of more blandly, like a categorization of the different types of scenes and figures 
in different mm-hmm. areas of the Basilica. Can you give us, I, I suppose, like a short audio tour of these, <laughs> not everything, because you wrote a couple hundred pages on this, but, you know, a short audio tour of these different areas and groupings of the windows, the way in which it's arranged in space. Hmm. Yeah, Notre Dame, even though the, it was, the church was built over 13 years, and of course the windows as well over 13 years, it still has a plan to it. And so, uh, and this was agreed upon beforehand by Father Soren and the Carmel Dumont who made the windows. So when you come into the church, the narthex, which is the kind of little vestibule when you first step in, mm-hmm. I for years didn't even realize it, but there, there are two stained glass windows in the narthex. And right. the reason you don't notice them is because they're not actually exterior windows. Right. There are windows behind them, but they're indirect lighting. Yeah. And so this is, they planned this, Father Soren, as when you step into the narthex, it's a contemplation of the mercy of God. And so there's two windows, one where the sun comes up in the morning on the east side, which is purgatory. Mm -hmm. And then on the left side is a window that is the last judgment. And that's a really traditional sort of entrance imagery to be used in a church. Anyway, that those those two windows are interesting all by themselves. That's also where, by the way, I stand with my my kids that are misbehaving, the youngest ones during Mass, oh, yeah. if we're ever at the Basilica. So we're somewhere in between Purgatory and the Last Judgment when they're making right. all kinds of unnecessary <laughs> noise during the liturgy. So I think That's every right. parent understands that. Yes, and they're there to for your children to look at and think. Um, <laughs> so actually they're to prepare a person to enter the church. Yeah. They're contemplating the mercy of God, Christ with his cross at the Last Judgment. Mm-hmm. And then the image in Purgatory where he shows a beautiful image. He has Jesus on a on a cloud over those in purgatory, and he has, you know, like moved his robe a little to the side so that we can see the wound in his side. Mm-hmm. And he has his hand raised. We see the nail marks in his hand. So it's a contemplation of God's love for us. And so it's a beautiful imagery there. Anyway, it's to prepare us to enter the church. So then you open the doors, you go inside, the second area there is called the nave, which is where the worshipers kneel and sit and pray. And uh, those windows are probably the ones any visitor would be most familiar with and most attracted to. Those are 40 scenes of saints, um, and they're quite stunning and beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, of course, picked for the late 19th century for the students and the faculty and staff. And above those windows are... Uh, are 10 scenes from the Old Testament, which are not related to the saints, but they're there. So you go contemplate the saints in their lives, and they are the saints are there with us as we pray. And the next area you come to is the transept, which is a section of the church that cuts across the main body of the church, and it makes the church into a cross. And that area, the transept, is very interesting it's actually, that area is a meditation on the church, and I mean church with a capital C. The mm-hmm. Catholic Church would be Father's way of saying it, and there, Father Sorens, there's a huge, the biggest two windows in the church are in the transept, so on the east side, where the sun comes up, so the first place you would look is the Pentecost window, which is a beautiful, stunning window, the birth of the church uh, on Pentecost. And then there are four windows, two on the east, two on the west, uh, that have various reflections on 
the church and the role of the Holy Spirit informing the church because it comes out of the Pentecost window. So you have prayer, the theological virtues, the prophets, the evangelists, and then some interesting sort of modern windows in those days, Immaculate Conception, Sacred Heart, the angels, and the church as ecclesia. And then the the West window, the very large one that matches the Pentecost, is the Dormition of the Virgin, so that's where the sun sets, and it talks about death and what the members of the Church viewed, how they view death in the light of the Dormition of the Virgin Mary. So every day in the rising and the setting of the sun, it's the, in some ways, the telling of the story of the Church from its founding at Pentecost to its completion in the Dormition of Mary, followed by the Assumption, of course, in the Nation. Right, exactly. I mean, that is when we have sunlight in South Bend, of course. Like, that was, that's the ideal (laughs) that the sun would tell the story. the Church, the the Basilica is actually, it doesn't face east like it's supposed to, Uh it faces north. And I'm not sure how that happened, but, you know, that's what we have. Um, and so it We're not moving it. It's going to stay that way. Yeah. <laughs> right. Then you move into the area where the altar is, and the sanctuary is what we call it in the book. And it's the most sacred space in the church. And there we have windows again that echo the saints that were in the nave. But these saints, uh, there's two windows with four scenes each. So there's eight images, are all saints who lived during the time of Christ. So Mm -hmm. it's like the most... mm, Well, Holy Cross had a devotion to those early saints in the Church. They were particularly attracted to the earliest, you know, uh, Joseph, Mary, Anne, Joachim, Peter, Paul. So that's who you find there. But it's interesting because they're like, you know, those who lived during the time of Christ are there in the area where Christ becomes present to us in the Eucharist. so that's the sanctuary, which I think those windows are beautiful. They, they're just beautiful. Yeah. And then behind that is what are called chapels, and mm-hmm. those are like little areas that show devotions within the Catholic Church. You have the Stations of the Cross Chapel, one to Our Lady of Victory, one to Joseph, one to Mary, the angels, the, the relics of mm-hmm. saints, and then the very last large chapel is the chapel to the Sacred Heart, um, mm. the, called the Mary Chapel. Mm. And those are all different stories and, and uh, wonderful to go and look at. It's really, they're secondary to the main body, which, you know, starts in the narthex and ends in the, in the sanctuary, but they're there and quite beautiful and made, actually made the Basilica an unusual church and, and at that point because people didn't have, you know, little chapels inside their church. So that's what you'll find. You wander around and see the beautiful stained glass. Yeah. This is Leonard DiLorenzo. You're listening to Church Life Today on Redeemer Radio. I'm talking with Nancy Cavadini, co-author of Stories in Light, A Guide to the Stained Glass of the Basilica of the Sacred Heart at the University of Notre Dame. Stories in Light is now available from the University of Notre Dame Press. You know, as you take us on that little audio tour, which I mean, in some ways, as a sketch of the book that you and Cecilia have created, which takes us on a more visual tour with mm-hmm. some guidance through text, but also these full-colored reproductions of the stained glass in the book. It strikes me that, you know, for someone who comes into the Basilica for the first time, and it's been, you know, a few decades since it was my first time walking in there, I think you're initially just sort of struck by the wonder of the place and sort of marvel mm. at 
especially for Americans who perhaps haven't been to European basilicas and cathedrals, as I had not when I first went through the basilica, you're sort of awed into reverence just by the look of the place. But as you were sort of narrating that, there's it seems like there's also an invitation to become, I don't know, a more awake and aware sort of pilgrim through that space that you that it starts mm-hmm. to make sense to you and speak to you that the first thing it speaks is of majesty but after that it speaks to you in these stories as you said mm-hmm. now i imagine that you and cecilia have probably looked longer and harder at these windows than just about anyone since the windows <laughs> first creation uh-huh. what kinds of things did you see that surprised you or delighted you like what are the little details or the major themes that became visible to you throughout mm-hmm. your long, attentive look. Mm. Right, yeah, we were, uh, I would say, immersed in the windows. <laughs> you know, I went in there thinking, oh, you know, I've studied theology. I've been a faithful Catholic for 60 years. I know these windows. <laughs> but, you know, like everything else that comes up in the world of faith, that presumption was not true. And mm. I was very humbled by the fact that, you know, you look at one window, you go on to the next, and you think, oh, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, I know what that is. But what I actually found in those windows was a world of faith, an awareness of Catholic faith, of which I was unaware. In other words, there was kind of a historical pride in me. I thought, oh, this was, you know, 150 years ago. I know all about this. But actually, there's a richness to this not-too-distant world that I was unaware of. Hmm. And it taught me a lot about, it, it actually taught me a lot about my faith today. For instance, in the transept, there is one of the images is of, it's called the Klesia. In other words, it's, it's an image of the church. And of course, the church has always been, when you present the church as an image, it's always as a woman. And so I was looking at this, and here she is. She's holding, of course, the book of the gospel. She's wearing the papal tiara. (laughs) She has the the papal, I think um, it's the staff with the double cross on it. She has the keys of Peter hanging from Mm -hmm. her hand, and she's wearing this beautiful cope, a liturgical robe. And and so to see that on a woman, you think, oh, this is way ahead of its time. But actually, no, <laughs> it's actually very ancient to present the church that way. But what was surprising to me was actually the look on her face. Mm-hmm. And and this is when you stand and look at any art, but these windows in particular is what I've learned to love in the world of art. She has a look on her face that I, as a you know, 21st century Catholic, wouldn't have predicted, knowing that. This window was put in in 1874, okay, two or three years after the fall of the Papal States. So Rome had just lost its material possessions in the world and was wondering how she would have any influence if she didn't have this kind of substantial way of being in the world. Vatican I had been kind of closed down because the Vatican city-states were uh, were seized and taken away from them. But here she is in this window with this look on her face of utter confidence. Hmm. And I thought, wow, if that had happened today, I don't think I would have put that face on her. 
And, you know, if you look at the window, she's in the lower right image of a set of four windows, which is how they come, four, win- four images to a window. And she's looking kind of heavenward, Ecclesia is. But if you look and kind of, you know, the windows relate to each other, she's actually looking up at another image that's in that upper left corner. of this, uh, She's looking to the Sacred Heart. Mm. Yeah, and so it's kind of, you know, the Sacred Heart spirituality is just shot through the Basilica and was very strong. It still is, but a very French kind of spirituality. So that window, it, it just speaks immensely to kind of a view of the church I would never have guessed, Yeah, you know, was present then. The stability of the church and gazing at yeah. the Sacred Heart across, as you mentioned, in this, this particular period of great instability, the stability right. is in the Sacred Heart. When the church was still finding her way in this new world that she was, you know, then living in. Mm. Yeah. So I, I love that. I love that window. There's several others. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure we could do hours upon hours of just you bringing forth to us these little details that are utterly illuminating and would would urge us to see things or consider things differently from especially those of us who have passed through that basilica umpteen times and haven't mm. paused to see all these details. How did the idea, the inspiration emerge for you and Cecilia to begin this project, which I know you worked on for years and years. has taken a very yeah. long time to complete. Well, it, we just probably seven or now eight years ago, we just started talking about, oh, you know, we, you know, we were talking about saints. Mm-hmm. And of course, Cecilia being an artist was interested in the way that saints are particularly presented, you know, so that each are identified, even though their name might not be on them. So their imagery and I, of course, was interested in them from a theological point of view. I was teaching classes to students who were going to be confirmed and, you know, interested in how how images can help young middle school students learn something about their faith. And so we were discussing that and we thought, well, you know, we don't we didn't really like any of the saints books. <laughs> we were complaining and, you know, and thought, well, we could do better ourselves. And so we started to think about how we would do that and, you know, look at what was currently available and all the ideas we had come up with someone had already done. And so we were just kind of floundering around trying to figure this out, you know. And Cecilia was, uh, still is, a tour guide in the Basilica. And I went there to have lunch with her one day and she was giving it to her. I was sitting in the pew waiting for her to finish. And we kind of realized, you know what? Here's the saints, hmm. and let's do a book on the saints in the Basilica windows. And it seemed a really good idea because we knew people would pick that book up. Yeah. And we knew there was the iconography there. We could explain it and say how it worked. And I could see the theology that was there. And it wasn't until afterwards we realized, but you know, there's a lot more windows than the saints in the nave. So <laughs> that expanded into that. And then, of course, how do you take pictures of windows? And my husband gave me a wonderful, he went and found out the best camera and bought it for me. My children bought me a new computer. So it just kind of moved along with encouragement from others and our own interests. But it was a very long process trying to figure out how to do it in the right approach. And I, I must say the press did a wonderful job because you know, this book, they, they decided guidebook, shape it like a guidebook, and it's the shape of the windows. And, you know, we came up with a process of how to actually, we had a picture of every window, which took several years because, right. you know, clouds move and 
and light changes. And anyway, it was a long process, but it was very interesting. One turning point actually was we had gone to see John Affleck Graves, vice president at that time, and kind of showed him what we'd done and asked him what he thought because we were trying to figure out how to do this. And he asked the very simple question, well, what did Father Soren think of these saints? Why did he pick these? And Mm. that kind of made us focus not just on the hagiography, but why it's at Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah, and well, so there were various changes in the book. Yeah, you you mentioned the University of Notre Dame Press, which actually came to mind as I've you know read through this book. That it's uncommon, I think, for a, a publishing house mm-hmm. to commit to this kind of project in this way to provide full right. colored photography, which is expensive for a publishing house. Exactly. To uh, you know create the slightly distinctive layout of the book, as you mentioned, it sort of follows mm-hmm. the proportions of the windows, not to scale. I mean, people aren't walking around with like a, a twelve foot book. it's a it's a portable, <laughs> no. you know, it's a portable book like any paperback. and it's a paperback. It's not a right. It's not exactly. a coffee table book or anything like that. So how important was that presentation and production quality? This book isn't I mean, Notre Dame well, Press really stepped up here. Yes, it was very important because, you know, they they were very careful to pick thick paper where the pictures wouldn't bleed through. Mm-hmm. And they were committed to doing the pictures in color, all of them. But it was interesting. They wanted a book that would appeal to the most people, but that would be academic. Mm-hmm. And so we had to blend those two in this. It is interesting because Notre Dame Press is an academic press, and this has probably more pictures than any other academic book they've printed. For sure. So it's, uh, and I've been thinking a lot about this, you know, the relationship, you read an image, the relationship of words, you know, to art, and ultimately the word became flesh. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting book to have put out by an academic press. So, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, and you mentioned this, I really was just kind of echoing what's at the beginning of your book, that some 100,000 or more visitors Mm -hmm. make their way to the Basilica of the Sacred Heart every year. Some of those, of course, are football fans or people just passing through town, but whether they come intentionally to the Basilica or they just happen to find themselves there, I imagine it's not uncommon that people leave there thinking of themselves in some way as pilgrims. They have Mm -hmm. made a journey to a place of religious significance. And even if they didn't mean to when they walked in, they're sort of affected by the space itself. So thinking about the people who do come to the Basilica or those who have not yet come, or maybe even those who will never come, what do you hope that this book will give to them that they wouldn't have had before? My hope is that art, and specifically Catholic art, and what's in these windows is capable at some level to speak to the viewer and Mm -hmm. bring a question to their mind of, wow, what was that that I saw? Hmm. You know, the Hasidim, (laughs) they thought that that there was a gate in heaven that only music could open. Hmm. And I think that that can be applied here, that stained glass, can have a particular effect on its viewer that can awaken questions in them that they wouldn't have asked in any other hmm. setting. Of course, that that's the work of grace. And, uh, you know, when, when I was working on this book and had various levels of frustration, my thought was, <laughs> I'm just going to give this over to, this is Mary's project. It's mm-hmm. her university. This is, you know, so I, I, I left it to be her work. And so, I mean, this is an academic book and we did our research and we did everything but ultimately I feel like we've handed it over to to the viewer 
mm-hmm. and given it to them to see what, what happens, you know. Like, for instance, I always loved the window of St. Clotilde. Mm. And I couldn't figure out why I liked it until one day I realized that she, of all the windows, she's the only one where her left hand is turned out for the viewer to see her wedding ring. Oh. And that her role was she was the wife of Clovis, and she converted him, and she converted the French world because of that. Mm. But just the way, I mean, you have to stand and look at that for a while, and then you think, what is the role of a wife, you know? And that, you know, that they, that's how they chose to present her was the window with the woman showing her wedding ring. So I don't know. There's, there's uh, all kind of interesting things in those windows if you want to go in and just look at them. Indeed. Yeah. My guest has been Nancy Cavadini. The book she authored with Cecilia Cunningham is Stories in Light, published by the University of Notre Dame Press. You can find it in the Notre Dame Bookstore, of course, online at undpress.nd.edu or wherever else online you like to find your books. Nancy, thanks so much for spending this time with me today. Oh, you're welcome. I love speaking about this book, and you have a great show. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) And thanks to all of you for joining us on Church Life today. This Church Life Today podcast is a production of Redeemer Radio and the McGrath Institute for Church Life at the University of Notre Dame and is brought to you in part by Notre Dame FCU and our listeners. Does debt have you down? Are you worried about your credit cards, your mortgage, or keeping your car? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union can help. Our people are trained to be financial physicians. They can give you a checkup, help you to heal, and stay healthy. Don't be embarrassed. It's why we exist. When your body is sick, you go see a doctor. When your finances are sick, you go see the friendly folks at Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits?